Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Hey, hey, welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Ben Miller. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Nice to be back on. Cybersecurity expert out here at uh, St. Louis, and we are also today really, really excited about this one. Uh, we have Dave Kennedy on the podcast with us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, Dave Kennedy, you are the, the founder of TrustedSec. Yep. And uh, DerbyCon. That's right. Yep, it's been a been a good run, and, and have a lot of a lot of a lot of fun uh, with those companies, and also uh, Binary Defense, which is another company. Nice. We are really excited to have you on and have your insights about today's stories. Yeah, thanks. What are we covering specifically today? Well, we're going to be talking about Facebook being sued for scanning users' private messages. Yeah, you. You may think to yourself, I just heard about this a couple of years ago. Well, it's it's happening again. After that, we're going to be discussing uh, how Facebook is beginning to track non-users around the Internet. And finally, our, our last story that we will be covering um, will be audio fingerprinting, which is being used to track web users on a whole bunch of different websites. So we're going to kick this off by talking about Facebook being sued for scanning users' private messages. So once again, Facebook's in trouble for going through and combing users' messages to identify key words or, or key items. And what they're specifically, what they say they're specifically looking for is things like malware uh, and child pornography. Uh, the lawsuit does claim that Facebook also uses data for advertising and other purposes. It also is claimed that Facebook apparently has a giant database that's Easily searchable and can be can be used by anybody um, who has a need to use it to search through messages. So, what is your opinion on this, guys? What inherent privacy do you think users have? What kind of privacy do you think they should um, be expecting from websites like this? Well, I think personally, for me, um, when you use services like Facebook or Gmail um, or other ones, I mean, you kind of understand that. You know, the information that you're presenting on there can be used for commercial purposes, uh, for advertising, uh, things like that. And that, you know, the private messages themselves are typically, um, you know, hosted by a third-party cloud provider that, you know, can have access to that information. I think it's a different business model than what you see from, like, Wicker or from Signal or the other ones that kind of tout more, you know, cryptography in between and not being able to leverage communications. I, I guess I guess it's a bad practice to have, right? You don't want people going through your private messages on Facebook. But at the same time, you know, knowing that it is coming from Facebook, which you know the large percentage of how they make their revenue is through you know targeted advertising, um, as well as you know um, selling that information to third-party consumers. I think a right to privacy on Facebook is kind of um, you know not not necessarily what the actual case is. And in terms of services and their licensing, I think um, say the same thing. You know, it's okay we have the right to be able to comb through some of this, and it's not. 
supposed to be like bulk collection or individual collection where they're actually going after an individual person. Uh, they're doing it more, uh, you know, as a whole, being able to search through that and kind of, you know, use targeted ads and things like that. But they also look for like child pornography. They look for a lot of other things inside of those private messages, which they say are very key um, to them being able to protect things that might be going on from an illegal activity perspective. Agreed. I think that, you know, like Dave said, if you're on that service, it's a quote-unquote free service because you're the product, and if you expect otherwise, that's usually just a, you know, uh, miscommunication about how these products work. And, and users, of course, unfortunately, unless they have somebody like us helping them understand why things are the way they are, just don't get that. I have a Venn diagram that I love sharing, you know, on Facebook with a few friends, and it is Internet and privacy, and it's two circles that don't touch. This is a Venn diagram, and I try to, you know, educate everybody I come into contact with that, you know, hey, you're the product, don't expect privacy unless you know what you set up, and like Dave was saying, with various apps that have cryptography, maybe end-to-end, -end, maybe not, you have to uh, take all of that with a grain of salt and, you know, what's the old Ben Franklin statement, you know, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. You know, and expect the same thing out of the internet. If you've got information that you're sharing with people and you're using uncontrolled internet medium, it's going to be in somebody else's hands. That's just the nature of the beast. Now, the fact that people are mad about it is what makes me laugh uh, and that we're going through this whole lawsuit. You know, Oh, hey, they're doing exactly what they said they're doing, and we don't like that, so let's make them change. That piece is what irks me as a professional that, you know, hey, I have a business need. I have, you know, this is how I'm doing things. You don't have to use the service. Why should I be sued over all of that? But I think that's probably outside the scope of this conversation, maybe. So my question is, when does it become uh, like PII records? So they are storing uh, dates, times, and user IDs um, along with the messages. So my concern for me is when does something become PII? You know, because if they're not if they're not storing these items, then there's no risk of a, a, a hacker, a third party, getting into their database and using information against you, right? But at what point do they encrypt things and, and make sure that it's secured. So if you send something like a social security number or something or your credit card information to a loved one over um, a Facebook message, you know, how does that get stored if that gets um, intercepted? That's the big question for me. How, how are they handling their PII? I almost wonder, you know, from a PII perspective, it you know, for it to be, you know, something that would hit a law or something like that, that would, you know, be either breach disclosures or whatever, you know, credit card data would be PCI, social security numbers would be more of the PII type type stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure, my, my guess would be on the back end, if they do detect numbers or things like that that could relate credit cards or something like that, they probably have ways of, of stripping that data so that it doesn't actually, you know, be maintained in, in some way, shape, or form. But that wouldn't actually make any sense because if you look at Facebook Messenger, if you post something, it's up on there forever, so they have to retrieve it somehow. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, if someone were to hack into uh, Messenger and take all that data, would there be some liability on Facebook? I think this specific lawsuit is very much around, you know, did Facebook um, violate their terms of services for what they actually 
um, store and what they actually have the ability to access to. And Facebook is saying no. Um, the lawsuit is saying yes. So what would be interesting to see is that if Facebook was in the wrong for actually, you know, being able to come through all that data, violating their own terms of services um, that people adhere to for when they actually um, join Facebook. So I'm interested to see how it actually plays out because I think this would be one of the very first um, lawsuits where it actually challenges an own company's term of services um, from a lawsuit perspective in violation of that uh, for actual message for private messages that are out there. So I think it's interesting, but I mean I think ultimately, you know, as you both put it, you know, there's a assumption that you know if your information is put up on there, it's not necessarily private. Yeah, uh, and this is why I don't use Facebook. Never have, never will. I actually use Facebook, um, but it's kind of for, you know, like just posting my information out there. So if anybody wants it, they're more than welcome to have it. It's nothing uh, nothing sensitive that I care about. Exactly. So not only are they getting sued for scanning user private messages, but they're also now tra tracking non-users as well, which is uh, a very interesting thing. So Facebook is now displaying ads to web users who are not members of their social network. Um, this was announced a, a, a little while ago, and it's being used to expand its online ad network. You know, all about that money, ads, ads, ads. By the way, we still promote uh, ad blockers on this podcast. <laughs> you even shut down everybody that has an ad blocker and don't allow them to view your site? <laughs> no, we, we, we love everybody. We believe that ad blockers are a good thing because of third-party ad systems that get exploited and have malware put on them. We wholeheartedly believe in ad blockers on this podcast. Um, so Facebook is using cookies, like buttons, and other plugins embedded on third-party sites to track members and non-members. The company says it'll be able to better target non-Facebook users um, to deliver relevant ads to them. However, a lot of people are are up in arms about this. They don't they don't think it's a good thing. Uh, Facebook being able to track non-users. What do you guys think about this? So this is one that I I again it's a company they can do what they want, and it's from my understanding of reading the the different articles, this is what happens when you have those like buttons on your various site, which to my knowledge is something people do to make their website do better business-wise. So it becomes this huge web of everybody's just trying to make some money off of you looking at various websites, and some people don't like that, and okay, you don't have to like that. Uh, the power that that gives you is kind of cool from a cool tech perspective, the information, like we were just talking about, if they have this huge bank of information, are they protecting it right? And, you know, the guys that are over there that I know are over there are, are good people doing good jobs. Uh, and, you know, again, this is one of those stories that I was kind of surprised uh, that it's coming around and being such a mess that it is. We actually see, like, there, you know, ad companies are trying to become more and more creative um, as they go along to be able to focus targeted ads to individuals based off of their spending habits. And so you have, you know, companies like Amazon and other ones that, that specifically have, like, oh, hey, you bought this, you probably also want to buy this as well. I know I recently bought a pair of Converse, uh, you know, uh, shoes recently online. And I bought it from, you know, Zappos or whatever. And I noticed that when I went to Slashdot, you know, they had a ad for, for, um, for Converse on there. So, 
you know, the integration between multiple sites and targeted ads for what you're actually doing is something that, you know, all of these folks are trying to make a lot of money off of. And it's, it's the core business of Facebook and Google and a lot of the other ones out there. You know, what's interesting, there's one, uh, there was a story recently where um, they were actually partnering with carrier companies um, to note to note your location and your general spending habits, and they were actually going to have targeted billboards uh, when you're driving your car, so you can actually see driving down the street. If you just shopped for something recently on the billboard, you know, it actually have something that would be you know relevant to you and what you actually do. Now, Congress threw a fit, and they've been talking about like banning it or whatever, but um, you know, as a privacy issue. But I mean, you're seeing you know technology being very much integrated into everything that we do from a tracking perspective. And obviously, it has some, um, you know, widespread privacy concerns because, you know, hey, you know, really, is what I'm browsing online very much uh, private? And the answer to that is, is typically no. Um, so that's kind of the world we live in today. And they just continue to get more and more creative with how they're actually targeting um, individuals and how they actually target ads. So the French Data uh, Protection Agency actually ordered the company to allow users to opt out of sharing their personal data um, with advertisers, which is uh, an interesting thing. What do you think about the, the opt-out options for companies? Do you think um, all of the, the advertising agencies should should uh, have this kind of opt-out or, or websites have like a little opt-out button uh, on their web pages? I mean, I, I think it'll be kind of like the, um, what was the, the, you know, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, they actually had a do not call list that, they, that the government maintained. Um, <laughs> You know, you put your number on there and you won't get called. And, they, and you know, the, the spam dollars would just call you from different countries and they would actually grab that number, those numbers off of the do not call list and then actually spam you even more. So, you know, I think it's uh, probably something uh, similar to that where maybe by law, um, you know, whether it's in, in France or the United States, I don't think you have to abide by it if you're in different countries, um, obviously, because there would be no um, direct law or correlation between them. So I think you would see a lot of companies, you know, spin up a lot of the technology in different locations or different geographies to be able to go and do it. So I don't necessarily know if that'll actually go and help out in the long term. I mean, ads want to, you know, people that, that own the ad companies want to, you know, do ads and that's their main core business. So they'll definitely find ways around it. Yeah, it kind of becomes your own, you know, it, opting out or putting yourself on the do not call list or all of that. That's just another way to get targeted. You're still giving out information about yourself and your habits and what you want. You're just doing it a different way than how the ad people were getting it from the first place. And it's one of those, I always tell people about growing up in a small town because it, that's kind of what being on the internet is like now where everybody knows everything about everybody except for the people that are spending a lot of money to hide really well. And if everybody's information is 100% out there, then we don't really have a privacy problem if everybody's equal in it. The trick is that unequal, uh, unequality of privacy and secrecy, uh, that's where you start to have problems. And so you know, I think Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy, years ago suggested something like that of... If we just, everything's out there, then privacy just won't even be a concern uh, for our kids or our grandkids or something like that. And I'm interested to see, you know, because these kind of reports, these kind of lawsuits, this kind of technology makes me think of the Minority Report and all the other Philip K. Dick type future pseudo-dystopias. Uh, you know, is this going to bring about the downfall of the world? No, I don't think it's that big a deal. But people get mad about it really easily too and we try and do things like this law and spin our wheels and is it ultimately useful eh, probably not Facebook the destroyer of worlds <laughs> trying to give you those sound bites man 
Well, what, you know, interesting enough, I mean, I think there are other alternatives for, you know, anonymity on the Internet, right? You I mean, you have, you know, Tor, which is at least partially, um, you know, anonymous for what you can actually go and browse. You have, you know, um, anonymous, um, you know, VPNs and proxies that you can leverage. There's also communication paths like Signal and those that you can leverage that, that you know, um, you know, from an open source perspective have been vetted and have been, you know, looked at from a uh, communication standpoint. So, I mean, if you really want to consider privacy as part of it, there are all alternatives to, to leverage and use. And I think, you know, um, it, it, you know that, that's that's kind of your choice to be able to leverage and go and do. I mean, you can use burner phones and, you know, your own customized laptop that you do most of your browsing on. And then, you know, for other stuff, you do other things. I mean, you can get as crazy as you want to with it, but there are, are alter alternatives out there. I mean, I use Signal all the time to communicate with folks, um, not because I'm hiding anything, just because, you know, I want to have a conversation that I know is private. Um, so, you know, those are the types of things that, you know, people can leverage and use that don't necessarily appeal by the, the ads or, you know, the monitoring that you typically see. So the problem with things like Tor um, is that they, they get such a bad rap in the media, you know. Um, every time Tor is brought up in the media, it's it's about the deep web and, and dark net or whatever you want to call the, the seedy un underbelly of the Internet. Um, and, and it gets a dark net. <laughs> and uh, it gets a, a huge backlash and that scares a lot of normal everyday users from using it. Sidef was gonna be doing some stuff uh, with deep web research and I actually went to Ben and I, uh, I had a list of questions I, I was gonna go to Ben with about utilizing uh, Tor because I myself was unsure about the, the rules of, of being able to use that service um, myself. So, you know, it does get that, that really, really bad name about it, and people who want that privacy are too scared to go out and, um, and to use those services because, you know, they think their, their ISPs are going to come down on them or they're going to start getting tracked and monitored by the government because of uh, just using the service itself. I think that's just a perception issue, right? I mean, I think most people, um, you know, are scared of that because they don't understand the technology or what it's intended to do. I mean, Tor has some very applicable, um, you know, uses, and obviously it can be used for malicious purposes as well, as can the Internet, as can anything else. I mean, IRC can be used for, you know, horrible, horrible things, and, and let alone we leverage that all the time. So I think it's just, you know, communication and what that actually means, you know, in organizations and what the uses are for those. I mean, you know, Tor is a, a, a very, you know, easy way of being able to, you know, route your traffic through other locations, making it more difficult to track you from when you're browsing things or when you're looking at things. doesn't mean you're a bad person for doing that. Um, but, you know, I, I guess it's a perception thing, right? Because it is used by bad people. I mean, you hear Silk Road, and Silk Road leverages the dark net, and the dark net is for underground drug dealers and, you know, terrorists and stuff like that. And that's, you know, all you typically hear, not necessarily the other side of it where there is, you know, valid uses for doing things like that. Yeah, and uh, many ISPs actually will now um, stop somebody's uh, internet service if they detect Tor being used. Um, I, I heard of um, some companies, you know, sending letters out or calling individuals, demanding to know what they're doing, um, and threatening to shut off their internet for using it too. I think I'm just going to stop using roads since bank robbers and kidnappers you know, <laughs> use the highways. I'm just going to, you know, they're they're too scary. With everybody out there, he's scared. Well, what's going to happen? Yeah. Well, if you live in St. Louis, your car also gets hacked on our highways here. 
Well, if you also listen to like ancient aliens, ancient astronaut theorists predict that the world's going to end shortly, so you got to start prepping as well. So. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the line of thought that you know all these people get carried down, which is so sad. But that's where we as security professionals and security practitioners need to get better at talking to everybody else about. No, no, no. It's not. I'm not going to say it's safe because neither is driving a car. But if you want to do certain things. It's kind of necessary, and you just need to do it safely, as safe as possible. See, I thought the world ended back in uh, 2012 in December. And I thought we were. I thought we were all just ghosts. <laughs> or, or was it uh, uh, 2000 as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, Y2K. Yep. That's why we're not using any computers today. Oh, right. <laughs> all right. So we're gonna move on from Facebook. <laughs> Uh huh. Yes. Let's move on. Let's. Uh, we're we're going to move on. Let's from, not go back to Facebook. It's a silly place. It is a very silly place. Uh, we're going to move on from Facebook tracking uh, to tracking of another kind. This uh, this was very interesting to me when I first uh, heard about this. So, audio fingerprinting is now being used to track web users, which is kind of crazy to me. So you may ask, well, how is audio fingerprinting being used? Is it, are they listening to my microphone, and are they, are they listening to me that way? No. There are some services on your computer um, that can be used, such as a, an oscillator node service or audio contact service, and those services can be used to get a little bit of information from your computer, more specifically the sound, quote-unquote, uh, of your computer, it's the audio signal, and the audio signals in your computers are processed differently depending on the hardware that you have and what browser you're using. Um, there would be slight differences in those audio signals. And then and those audio signals can be used to identify you on various websites using the, the different APIs um, that can access those services. However, if you and somebody else has the same exact computer specs and you're using the same exact browser, then it's going to have the same exact audio signal. What do you guys think about this? Well, I thought it was actually pretty cool and creative. Um, I mean, horrible from a, uh, you know, eavesdropping perspective, uh, but, you know, from a, a um, ability to actually detect sound and then build a footprint off of that, I mean, Technically, you know, there would be variances, even if you're using the same hardware equipment in every case, that you might be able to actually create a complete unique, you know, token off of somebody that, you know, is unique to their, their system. So I think it's a, actually a pretty creative way um, of being able to do that. Now, I'm interested to see on what permissions you need, because there's two specific um, APIs, I think, that they reference that they hook in order to get the sound off of that. And I'm curious to see if that's something that you can actually... Um, pull just through browsers, you know, without actual, um, you know, acceptance of, of elevated permissions or whatever uh, for that. But I mean, to me, it's creative using using uh, sound as a method to uh, map somebody and track them. It's you know, it's kind of scary and horrible at the same time, but um, you know, unique a unique way of doing it. I don't think it's widely adopted yet. Correct? No, no. Uh, there's only a handful of major websites that are that are using this right now. And so, you know, adding to that, you know, my first thought in reading this was this is more, it's not a fingerprint, it's more like, uh, you know, you figure out who's got brown hair, who's got blonde hair by looking at a crowd. Uh, but going into it more, if you read up on the 
you know, I followed this through the list of websites that we went through. Uh, there's actually a live demonstration uh, website put together by Princeton CITP Web Transparency and Accountability Project that you could go to and basically click a button and say, fingerprint me, and it shows you this cool visualization of this is what we say you are, uh, and this is how we get it. And, you know, I'm not seeing any uh, high-level requirements, uh, you know, permissions-wise. And it's it's pretty slick. So is this enough to, you know, again, unique fingerprint that's only identifiable to you? Eh, I, I don't know that I think it's that far yet, but then again, eh, maybe it will be. And this all goes back to then all the various privacy problems we've, we've uh, hashed over today. And again, the nature of accessing services this is, you're going to give away certain information. Just like when I walk into my dry cleaners, they know I have brown hair and wear glasses because they can see it. So I just did the audio context fingerprint test as you were talking about that. Mm -hmm. And permission-wise, I didn't have any kind of, so usually whenever something is requesting some kind of audio or video service from you, you know, you get that browser mm -hmm. box that pops up and yeah. says, hey, wow. Um, I did not get that. Nope, me neither. Whatsoever. Um, so any website that wants to fingerprint their users uh, could easily hide this in a logon button, and you would never know it's there. That's pretty jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's really cool. It's a, good, it's, it's a creative idea, but it's jacked up. <laughs> this is one of those things with my, uh, my non-security friends at work, you know, I'll be telling them about stuff like this, and I'll be all excited. I'm like, isn't this awesome? And they're like, your definition of funny, awesome, and cool don't always match the rest of ours. That's what we call scary, hazardous, you know, creepy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we're all looking at this going, man, that's awesome. And I can see why some people might be going, that's really scary that my computer has a fingerprint. Yeah. So on one hand, I can see this being really good. So like your bank, for example, could use this to verify that you're coming from a trusted device with a known fingerprint, right? So that could be like really, really awesome uh, security measure. It, it could be another factor of uh, authentication. However, it could be really, really bad um, because it could be used by individuals trying to, you know, track you on websites and trying to identify um, all the different devices that you use. I'm curious to see, like, 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 what are the variation types? Like, what happens if I'm, when I browse in, it, it baselines my computer based off of sound and my fans aren't going crazy because I don't have a lot of applications open, but next time that I'm, you know, on the side, I have all the fans going crazy, or maybe, you know, fans are a half percent or something like that. I mean, how do they equate for sound variations and things like that, um, you know, to actually do it? So I wonder actually how accurate, um, you know, these these are, are for actually footprinting devices. I'm, I'm curious to see that, but, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, that's, uh, some more research is going to have to go into this. Um, we will definitely be putting something up on the, the SIDEF website um, once more research has gone into identifying uh, differences in hardware variations um, within your your system here. Do you guys have any other uh, thoughts on this before uh, we wrap this story up here? 
Well, the publication that they put out, uh, you know, they've got a PDF on randomwalker.info that's the actual study, and it gets pretty technical pretty fast on on what they're going through and how they're measuring things. So I, I, I'm willing to say these guys have, have probably done a lot of homework, uh, and this is uh, pretty slick, but then it doesn't go on to say, and this is how we'll use it to, you know, track everybody. They just kind of talk about those those main graphics that are on the uh, on the various websites that we've already mentioned. So, yeah. Meh. That's your final thoughts. Final My final thoughts, thoughts is meh. meh. Yes. That's funny. Yeah, nothing nothing to add on this one. I mean, just that uh, people get more creative on how to track people, and that's... Uh, I mean, think about um, it this way, too, and not just from a ad perspective, but, you know, government agencies or things like that that can actively track individuals based off those sound profiles and any site that they hit. Uh, that's kind of cool. I mean, in a bad way, but cool. Right on. We were thinking about starting a new section of our podcast for all of our uh, pen testers that come on, Dave. Yeah. Uh, pen tester story corner. <laughs> Sweet. So if you have a story you would like to uh, tell our users about an interesting, crazy, or scary uh, pen testing experience, that would be awesome to add to our podcast. Sure. Um, well, so, you know, obviously the scary ones are ones where you break in and you realize you're not the first person there. Um, you know, I've had a couple of those. Uh, but one of my favorite stories um, is when I got into a company that had been celebrating, you know, a certain amount of years um, in business in America and that type of stuff, and they're really proud about it. And I went to their website, and it had, like, you know, like little banners everywhere and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I looked at their website. I went to their, their news and events, and I saw that, uh, you know, there's a specific person – um, that was kind of the, the main PR person for their website. And so I went on LinkedIn, um, grabbed her profile, figured out their e email schema. And the way that you can do that is, is really easy. Um, if you use something like the Harvester or like Recon NG, you can see like email addresses that are leaked through a various amount of different services. But what you try to get is the, the format of their email. So is it, you know, first initial dot last name or, you know, f you know first name dot last name at company name. So once you figure that out, um, you can actually send a... Um, a uh, you know email out to uh, the individual company. I sent an email to this uh, PR person and said, "Hey, um, you know, interested in doing a story on you folks um, about you know your X amount of years in business, um, and I'm curious about the company. Would you be interested?" And uh, she sent me an email back saying, "Yeah, we'd definitely be interested. And here's all my contact information." And you know that email gave me enough around the header to say, "Okay, you know, here's how the email's formatted. Um, you know, as a company, like the fonts, you know, the disclosure, you know, agreements and everything." Then I sent out a, um, a fish to about four people in the company from um, the PR person basically saying, hey, based on our company being in business for X amount of, of, of years, um, we're giving away, you know, free, you know, 50 free iPhones or whatever, um, you know, for, you know, thank you to our employees or whatever. And, uh, you know, I sent it to only four people. And when you clicked on the link, it was a, um, a Java applet attack uh, with PowerShell injection. And uh, I ended up getting about 60 shells um, back from people because people started forwarding it to other people saying, hey, did you see this? Did you get your free iPhone? And um, literally caused, you know, us to be able to compromise the organization inside and out. Uh, but the really fun part about that one uh, was is they're actually doing pretty good security controls. Um, they had application whitelisting in place. Um, all the users didn't have um, admin rights. And so what I had to do is um, I spoofed my phone number coming from uh, the person that I was going after because I had access to the uh, global address list in, in uh, OWA. And I called the help desk, 
and uh, basically saying I was having a warrant issue, and, and I started frustrating him because I made him sound like I didn't know how to get to the Internet Explorer and stuff like that to, to troubleshoot things. <laughs> and uh, they ended up promoting into the box, and I got a Kerberos token, and ended up elevating my permissions, and then moving on to other systems. So that was that was a fun one. I, I love that one. It's my favorites. Ladies and gentlemen, a pen testing story by Dave Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're gonna wrap this episode up here. This is shorter than our usual episodes, but we have been doing these mini-casts so we can get content out quicker because our main podcast has been getting up to an hour at a time now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they take quite a while to edit. Uh, so this week we we covered uh, Facebook being sued for scanning private messages. Again. Again. And uh, from that we... We pretty much surmise that if you're going to use a service, um, check the terms of agreements, and if you don't like the terms of agreements and you don't like privacy issues, don't use that service. So Facebook is beginning to track users and non-users, utilizing things like the like button and third-party uh, cookies. And again, if you if you don't like those kind of services uh, tracking you, use something um, that can, you know, anonymize you, such as a, a VPN or Tor or something like that. Um, we will put some links to various services in our show notes for you. Uh, but an, another thing you can do if your Facebook user is Facebook accounts can opt out of the ad scheme by adjusting their user settings, and we will put a link to that. And non-Facebook members can opt out through the Digital Advertising Alliance, and we will put a link to that in our show notes as well. So. Don't fret, there are ways to protect yourself from being tracked. And finally, we discussed audio fingerprinting being used via two different APIs, the audio context and oscillator node APIs. And from that, we determined that was really cool and really scary. We, we don't have anything to help you as of right now other than saying that's really cool and really scary. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Um, again, my co-hosts were Ben Miller. Thank you all, and make sure you teach someone how to create a long passphrase. <laughs> and Dave Kennedy. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Stay safe, keep your network safe, and have a week. Cybersecurity training has traditionally been really expensive and therefore too hard to come by for many people. The result of super high price training is a skill gap that has left the industry with over 1 million unfilled jobs, which is crazy. But Cyberary is working to change that. The cybersecurity training revolution has begun. Get free training courses and find jobs in the field at Cyberary.it. Employers looking for cybersecurity talent can also post jobs there. So again, free cybersecurity training and jobs at Cyberary.